If you're looking to manage your ADHD drug-free, then this is the episode for you. This week, I speak to Joseph Pack, who is the founder of drugfreeadhd.org. Normally, Joseph shares his wisdom with his thousands of followers online, but today we're lucky enough to have him in the studio all to ourselves, where I pick his brains and he shares his wisdom on how to live with ADHD drug-free. Watching the numbers go up really helps me avoid burnout and enables me to keep making amazing content for you all. So if you're watching on YouTube, please hit the subscribe button, hit the like button, or if you're listening to it on a podcast app, please click the follow button. Thank you so much and enjoy the episode. Joseph, thanks for joining us. No problem. Great to be here. You've got one of the most fascinating diagnosis stories I've ever heard. Can you explain to us what happened, what led to it? Yeah, sure. Um, so when I was 21, I founded a marketing agency and we were like designing logos for cafes just in the Peak District. Nothing massive, but by some chance, really, luck, it worked out mm. really well. And we ended up moving the company to Manchester and um, opening an office and getting some really great clients like Adidas, Levi's, the North Face, Patagonia, blah, blah, blah. Uh, built a team of people, continued growing the company, and I just became completely addicted to working, just workaholic, basically. Now, mm. the reason why I was a workaholic, I now realized, is because I had no qualifications whatsoever. I didn't even get enough GCSEs to get into sixth form mm. school. So I was actually just nervous that I had no qualifications to fall back on. So the answer to me then at 24, 25 years old was work every single second. No one can take that away from you. Mm. And then I started to drink a lot of coffee. Okay. Uh, I'm talking like 10 very strong cafe brewed coffees. That's a lot of coffee. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and then I was not sleeping as a result of it. Um, and then one day, in fact, on the 11th of August, 2016, I woke up in hospital. Uh, it turned out that three days before, I'd been completely out cold. I'd had five enormous seizures in the night. Um, and nobody could work out the problem. So I was in a hospital in Manchester, and I got moved to a private hospital in Cheshire, where there was a doctor there called Dr. Stefan Schumacher. And he worked out the problem immediately. So basically, I'd had a very, very severe case of burnout, which had led to these seizures caused by the caffeine in the coffee, blocking a hormone in my brain from telling my brain that it was tired. So my brain didn't know it was tired. My body knew that they were disconnected. And then one day, everything just gave way and I had these seizures, woke up in hospital. Um, and then I got very, very depressed um, coming off the coffee, having like these withdrawals and things. And I went to see a therapist and I spoke to him for 45 minutes. And then he just looked at me and went, you've got ADHD. Gosh. I'm absolutely certain of it. And I said, you know, I had been thinking about that before. And he said, I recommend you go and get diagnosed. Of course, I had ADHD or have it. Um, that's, yeah, that's, important day, you know, a, a scary moment, mm. but maybe one of the best things that's ever happened to me. And those particular, those seizures, you had no memory of that happening? No. You just woke up in hospital? Well, I, I mean, I don't even remember being in hospital. This is just things that I've been, that mm. my family has fed back to me. Um, I lost, I've regained most of it now, but I lost about a year's worth of memory prior to the seizures. 
And when the doctor said you've got ADHD, yeah. did that start you down a journey of finding out everything about ADHD? Yeah, I mean, um, I'm a very obsessive person mm. and that this was this new thing that I'd been told I'd got. So I just became obsessed and I got the prescription for the medication. I went, I was a little bit unsure about taking it because obviously I had learned that this medication was a stimulant and I'd put two and two together that caffeine is also a stimulant. So I thought I better check this. So I went mm. to see the neurologist, Schumacher, Dr. Schumacher, and he said, do not take that medication. Do not take that medication. And I said, why? He said, you have had five enormous seizures, lost one year's worth of memory and all these other problems from drinking coffee. Okay. For most people, that medication is fine. But for you, it, it's not going to end well. And then he explained to me that once you've had one seizure, you are, I can't remember the exact number, but X amount, X times more likely, a huge amount more likely to have seizures again. I'd had five in the space of six hours. Hmm. So the chances of me having another seizure again are quite large. Now I know what to look out for if they're coming. So if for anyone, this is actually more common than you'd think with people with ADHD, but seizures, to, you can spot them coming because you have like these really weird, I describe them as mini deja vu moments. So something will happen that reminds you of something that happened before and you start to go dizzy. And I had to keep lying down on the floor and just taking deep breaths until it went away. Mm. If I'd known that before, I wouldn't have had the seizures because I'd been mm. able to stop it by completely changing my lifestyle. When you got that diagnosis mm. and you found out everything there is to know about ADHD, did you look back into your earlier years and spot ADHD? I mean, it's easy to look at it, you know, as like almost post-rationalized behavior that I had as a teenager in particular, but... Mm. And also, obviously, I've read, well, not obviously, but I've read books like um, Scattered Minds by Gabo Mate, and he talks about the connection between trauma and ADHD. Um, when I was nine, my grandma died. Now, that's significant for anybody, but for me, it was huge because my mum and dad were very, very young when I was born, and they didn't have enough money to, to buy their own house, so we lived with our grandparents. Oh, and um, when I was nine, she died. My grandma died. So that was almost like having a mother die to me, I've realized, in, again, in retrospect. Mm. And then six months later, my parents get divorced. And then we move out of that house I've lived at in, and we move into a house with my now stepfather. And for a few months, my sister and I, because there's no space in the house, we live in a, in a room that can only fit a double bed in it and mm. nothing else with no windows. At the same time, I was coming to the end of primary school and then going into secondary school. There's a lot of traumatic events that happened in that time. And from there onwards, my behavior started to get very, very, I would say aggressive. Mm. Um, I this is no exaggeration. I genuinely mean what I'm about to say. I literally never once in my entire secondary school life did homework, ever. I, I was, I found the process of doing homework more painful than the telling off I would get from the teachers. Mm. And in fact, the telling off I would get from the teachers was actually quite invigorating and I wanted it. Do you think you, when you acted out or you misbehaved, in that case, not doing the homework, you were desperate for some kind of stimulation? Attention? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. 
It's like um, pulling girls' hair mm. that are in front of me. because Not because I want to hurt the girl, but because the teacher will tell me. So I'm sitting for two hours, like copying equations into a book of which I have no idea what they mean. Bored out of my mind. Why don't I just pull this girl's hair? The teacher will shower me. That'll be something exciting. Or maybe I'll get taken to the headmaster's office. These are all more exciting and things that actually don't scare me. Mm. Oh, I must have been a nightmare. I must have been awful to teach. <laughs> Do you still get those kinds of impulses now when you're an adult? Um, yeah, but I'm much, much more in control of them. Mm. So again, I have very, very little memory of this, but I used to live in Manchester and there's an area of Manchester called Moss Side, which is close to the student area. And um, I was walking through that area at night and I picked up a stone from a skip and for no reason whatsoever, just threw it down the road and it smashed a window. That's not a very good idea <laughs> in what? that particular area <laughs> to what? go smashing windows. When you picked up that stone, was there any bit of your brain that was saying no? It's not that I can remember. You're it just... was just a, I'm bored. Yeah. I've got to do something to liven me up. And was this, it the actual it... dopamine stimulation that you got from the actual act or was it the consequence that would follow that excited you? I don't even think I've thought about it. You know, it's, there's a stimulus mm. and then there's the response. So yeah. the stimulus being like, I'm going to pick up this rock and throw it versus throwing the rock and what happens. So I think with ADHD, this, the gap between stimulus and response is tiny. Mm. So you can actually make a decision to pick up the rock and throw it before you've noticed you've made the decision to pick up the rock to throw mm. it. That's quite a unique trait to ADHD in my experience with speaking to a lot of other people. Now, the trick I've found over the past seven years, whatever it is, since I had those seizures, is how can I widen the gap naturally um, between stimulus and response mm. to notice I'm about to throw a rock through a window. Don't do it. That's the trick. I think it's a trick that so many people would benefit from knowing because that impulse or lack of impulse control is often the reason why someone might do something bad. They might impulse purchase something. They might eat that thing. They yeah. might spend that money, something that potentially could get them into, they might say that thing in an argument. You know, there's so many bits that would, there's so many areas in an ADHDers life where that impulse control gets them into trouble, either romantically or financially or personally. So what's your trick to widening that gap between the, the event and the impulse? Well, the main thing is meditation. Now, meditation is a very scary word for most people with ADHD. I'm often met with, I have ADHD, I can't meditate. And I just say, you can't meditate yet. Mm. And I'll show you how. It's actually a lot more simple than you think. And one of the reasons why people with ADHD often think they can't meditate is because, to be completely honest, they've had it explained to them wrong. If I said to you, what, what do you think is meditation? Like just simply, is it, is it something to do with quieting the mind down? Yeah, I would yeah. say it was um, crossing my legs, doing that, yeah. and thinking of, trying to think of nothing. Yeah, okay. That's, with <laughs> greatest respect, that's completely <laughs> wrong. <laughs> okay. So if your mind is busy, there's a reason. Okay. Meditation is not about quieting the mind. Meditation is about creating an object of attention that isn't the mind to distract your awareness of the mind away from the mind and onto the object. Some types of meditation use a candle flame to stare at. 
some types of meditation use the breath. That's the most common one where you follow the breath going in and out, maybe at the chest or in the nose or something like that. And you'll count one to 20. If you've got mm. to 25, you've gone too far. Okay, that, that's the reason why we count to 20 with it. Those types of meditation I find don't work for people with ADHD at all. Because when we go to start focusing on the breath, the voice just gets louder and louder and more aggressive and it's way too distracting. So instead of that, I like to create another sound, another word in our heads, a mantra, you could call it. Mm. And what the reason why that's important is it's because if we're paying attention to the voice in our head, but we place a mantra in there instead, the awareness stops focusing so intensely on the voice and starts to focus on the mantra itself. So the voice in your head will, on its own over time, get quieter without any force by instead focusing on the mantra. Now, that still doesn't solve the first problem that I was talking about, which is if the mind is busy, there's a reason for it. Meditation is the beginning of being able to work out the reason why the mind is busy. It's fascinating. And how would one apply that advice in the moment where, yeah. say, you're in a shopping center and you see something that you want to buy yeah. and someone might have an issue with impulse purchasing? How yeah, could yeah. they use that exercise in that particular moment? Well, you could, the, the, you have to notice first. So meditation trains you to slowly over time, 20 minutes in the morning, 20 minutes in the, the evening is what I do. Now you Why don't more infant formula companies use organic grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. You could start with five minutes, and that's what I recommend for everybody, even two, depending on how they're feeling. Um, but the process of meditating twice a day over a period of time, just on its own, widens that gap between stimulus and response without you having to do anything. You're just more aware of what's happening in your head. Mm. So you are, you're just naturally less impulsive. Now, sometimes um, you could be in a shopping center and you're about to do something impulsive, like buy something. If you notice it and the pull is very strong, you can use breathing techniques and breath work to change your state. In that actual moment? In that moment, yeah. And I can teach you one right now if you want. 
Okay. Yeah. Okay. So this is the important thing is to just notice that when you take a breath in, that activates the sympathetic nervous system. So that's related to fight or flight, anxious feelings, that sort of thing. So if someone came up to you and shocked you right now, what would you do? Like what would happen to your breath? We're taking you go up deep, deep in breath with yeah, my, like through <gasps> my mouth. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. Okay. So that's like fight or flight mode. That's your body just automatically going into fight or flight mode mm. when someone shocks you. Perfectly normal. In fact, it's very good that that happens. Okay. You don't want to, when, if like someone comes to attack you, you don't want to go <laughs> and relax and just let it happen. Okay. Yeah, you'll be an open target. That's good. The problem is we are, the way that we breathe a lot of the time and the way that the modern world is constructed, we are breathing, a, we're basically not breathing correctly. Right. What we want to do is breathe out more slowly. And you can train yourself to do that. Why is that important? Because the parasympathetic nervous system is activated on the out-breath. So there's a balance between sympathetic and parasympathetic. Parasympathetic is associated with calmness. It's proven to, to slow the heart rate down, proven to reduce blood pressure, a few other very good things. And that's the out-breath. Yeah, so if you take a breath in, mm. the sympathetic nervous system or flight, anxious, that gets activated a little bit, just on normal breath. And then it's corrected as you breathe out. So all day, there's this dance going on between sympathetic and parasympathetic, in and out, in and out. Okay. And naturally, our breaths tend to be the same length in as they are out without us paying attention to it. Now, if you take in a large, deep breath through your nose and then breathe out very slowly through your mouth, over that period of time, the parasympathetic nervous system is more activated than the sympathetic nervous system, thus calming your body down. So while your mind is going crazy, saying you need to go and buy that now, you can calm your entire body down, which will then calm your mind down with breath. Okay, so it's like this. You're going to have to sit up a little bit straight yeah, with your spine. It's really comfortable. We're yeah, not it's going to be too comfy, actually, I think. So what you want to do is Right at the very, very beginning of the breath, you push out the belly. You're doing that because you want to get, basically activate the diaphragm and like, push as much yeah. air into the lungs as possible. Yeah, okay. like keep describing it for the people who aren't watching. Yeah, so basically you will, like put your hand on your belly right now and yeah. imagine that as you breathe, your hand goes out, not up, out. Okay, so like this, I'll just do one. We'll do an in-breath first without the out-breath. So like this. Okay, my belly's going out. <sighs> okay. So it's belly out, yeah. then the chest goes out, and, and then the chest. You, you basically fill your lungs up so much that you feel like they're going to burst. Yeah, I've They're not going to burst, right? Okay. but you've got to really, really pull that air in. Okay, so in. Your head almost shakes, you're getting so much air in. Yeah. Okay, once the lungs are full, you literally just breathe out very slowly, almost you're just letting the muscles go. You're not pushing the air out at all, and you just have a little gap between your lips and make a little sound like that. So it's, should we do it all the way? Okay, we'll do it through. one more time, so, yeah. Okay. Breathe in, push the belly out. This goes out. Breathe out through your mouth very slowly. I do feel more relaxed. I do feel a lot more in control. And you can do that a few times, relax your shoulders, mm. relax your heart. And is that just a simple exercise that somebody yeah. could adopt if they're in the middle of a moment of impulsivity whether that's a reaction to rejection or they want to buy that thing in the shop all of these impulse moments that's a little exercise that someone yeah. could adopt yeah and it's available to almost anybody mm. as well and it 
I find that when I teach people that technique, which is so simple, mm. is that they feel empowered. It's not me that's made them relax. They did it themselves. I just showed them a very simple technique. Because, mm. you know, we're, we're all, like every single human being on earth really is fighting to get what they want and avoid what they don't want. Yeah. yeah. And, and that in itself creates a form of suffering in mm. a way. So um, we believe, well, I believed for 25 years that the only way to make me feel good when I feel bad is to change something in the outside world. So to be, I'm in a, an uncomfortable environment, I need to get out of it. Someone's saying nasty things to me, I need to make them stop. Okay. But with the power of that breathing technique, which is so simple, I learned that actually, no, I can change the way I feel by doing that. So the answer to solving the problem wasn't outside, it was in. And that's mm. a really important revelation when it comes to meditation, because meditation is always taking you away from the mind, which is often causing the problems. Are there other types of meditation or is that the main one? There's loads of different types of meditation. I just find I've tried loads of different types of meditation. And I think that that type is just easiest for most people with mm. ADHD. So what you would do is you'll repeat a sound, like you mm. can repeat the word I am over and over again, silent in your head. If that's uncomfortable for you, because it's a bit, bit, bit weird saying mm. I am, I am, I am over and over again, you could just say, I can handle this. I can mm. handle this. Just repeat that in your head mm. for five minutes. Thoughts can come. This is not about stopping thoughts. Thoughts are there for a reason, like I've said. We cannot stop them. What we can do is distract ourselves from them. So, the, have you ever noticed that the voice in your head isn't you? Like if you so, if you repeat the word hello now five times, silently in, my head. in your head, yeah. Okay. And everybody listening and watching, just repeat the word yeah. hello five times. Okay. Would you hear that? I could hear it, yeah, okay. in my head. So if you could hear that, then that voice cannot be you. It is your voice. Mm. It belongs to you, but it's not you. And if it's not me, yeah. then does that mean that that gives me power to ignore it? Exactly. Or to tell it it's wrong? Power to ignore it, mostly. Um, I've come to distrust it, to be honest, by paying very close attention to like, the voice in my head has told me to do something. I've done it. It didn't work out. Mm. That's happened multiple times. What happens if I just ignore it completely and just go about life without listening to it? What happens? Well, I'll tell you one thing that does happen. You don't suffer so much along the way. Even if the outcomes are the same, you got there without suffering because you weren't listening to what was going on in there. And I think people with ADHD have a unique ability to grasp what I just said because their voice is so strong in there. Well, speaking to other people on the podcast, myself included, is why a lot of people perhaps turn to alcohol because it's one of the things that actually just makes that voice shut up. Yeah. And, or at least turn the volume down. Yeah. But if you can bypass that and actually have the uh, power and awareness to recognize perhaps that that voice isn't you and actually it's not always right, rather than turning it down, which is really damaging if you are using alcohol to do that, yeah. ignoring it is yeah. a much healthier way to deal with it. Yeah. It took me a long time to grasp that. It's difficult because I've spent 30 years of my life just listening to the voice, thinking it was me, mm. addicted to it, basically. And then trying to like unshackle myself from the voice and not do what it says. It's quite scary, to be completely honest. But it's definitely the main 
probably the most important part in my growth over the past few years. What other methods or things do, do you do that help you manage your ADHD that aren't taking medication? I take cold showers every single day. I've heard a lot about this and they sound bloody dreadful. <laughs> I haven't actually tried it, so I can't, I can't say too much, but can you describe, I suppose, what they are is self-explanatory, but what, what do they feel like and what do they mm. do to you? So they feel horrendous. <laughs> but the, risk, the reward is yeah. great, I guess. At first, they feel horrendous, but mm. you get used to it. And apparently what happens is you have this, like a layer of a brown adipose tissue, it's called, that starts to build within you. Brown adipose tissue. Adip adipose, yeah. Okay, what's that? A-I-D-I-P-O-S-E. Okay. It's, um, it's all linked to your immune system, basically. And as it builds, it means it's much easier to deal with the cold. And you actually start to enjoy it and you want to get in it. And it goes to a point where getting in a hot shower is not very fun. Because you get out of the hot shower feeling lethargic and tired and mm. ugh, like that. But when you get, get out of a cold shower, particularly over about two and a half minutes, you are awake, alive, energized, just totally changes the way you feel. I can go from like having a really bad day, you know, feeling very down, just getting a cold shower for two or three minutes. And just, I'm just a different person straight away. Now, I, um, after the neurologist told me to not take the medication i went to i had an idea to like reverse engineer what does adhd medication do mm. and i learned that it boosts dopamine amongst a few other things and i was looking around thinking what else boosts dopamine so i googled it what boosts dopamine number one coke cocaine and i was like definitely not going to take that that's yeah, not a good idea don't take cocaine <laughs> no. um caffeine yeah well i've already ruined that for can't myself that. i can't take that i was searching carried on searching and then cold exposure I was like, that's interesting. Turns out that spending, I believe it's like over three minutes in below six degrees Celsius water. I may be a little bit wrong about that. Um, boost dopamine by 250%. 250%? 250 250%. Cocaine boosts dopamine by 250%. It's the same, right? The difference is cocaine doesn't last very long and has a very sharp decline, um, like a tapering off. Whereas cold exposure has an extremely steady decline over about three hours. And it's very expensive and ruins lives. Yeah. Cocaine, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Whereas getting get a nice bath, yeah. get all the benefits, yeah, yeah. none of the side effects. And uh, it's- You yeah. have to be, because that might be where I went wrong. Because I have, I did step in a cold shower once, not an mm. ice bath, but I, I've stepped in kind of, screamed, yeah. nearly went into shock and immediately jumped out probably mm. about 10 seconds later. So is that where I went wrong, the time? Uh, you nowhere in a million years that you're going to be able to stay there for two and a half minutes the first time you do it. So it's all about gradually building up. Even five seconds is okay. So you're going to have to tell yourself, I'm going to stay here for five seconds or I'm going to stay here for 10 seconds. So mm. you have your hot shower as normal. So get your body really hot, okay? And then start taking breaths about 30 seconds before you turn the water to cold. Quite deep. <sighs> What you do, yeah, yeah, mm. you're replicating the sensation of when someone jumps into ice cold water again. <gasps> you're doing that, so you're preparing the cardiovascular system for when you turn the water to cold. Mm. Once you put the water to cold, that shock doesn't happen. You're cold; it's not nice. I'll admit that, 
but the shock doesn't happen. You've already gone through that process. You start to realize I can do this for a week, 10 seconds. Next week, I'm going to do 20. The week after that, 40. And you keep going all the way up to about two and a half, three minutes. Then you can have a shower with no hot at the beginning, pure cold, three, four minutes. If you can do that, you can get in an ice bath. And getting in an ice bath is, it is hard. Um, but the best way I can describe the feeling is you get out and you have very high energy, but you're calm. That's really unusual because often you have very high energy, but you're not calm. And that feeling of high energy and calmness, does that last for how long? The research shows three hours. I probably, I wouldn't say it was that long for me. Um, but it's, there's another benefit which lasts all day, which is that if I wake up on a January morning for argument's sake and it's minus two outside and it's six o'clock and it's dark and I'm in the bathroom and I'm staring at the shower thinking, I want a hot shower, but you don't have a hot shower and you get in the cold shower and you do it. You, you get all this dopamine boost and norepinephrine boost and other things. You feel great. But the main thing is you've just built grit and determination because there's not many things that are going to be as difficult as getting in a nice cold shower at six o'clock in the morning on a Jan in January. It's... For me, that's been one of the biggest things. I think just building on what you just said, it does give you the confidence. It must boost your self-esteem a bit because like you said, you've done something that probably most people won't try. And for you to do that, as well as the actual the physical, physiological effect that you've described, you've also got that boost of self-esteem because you've done something challenging, which is actually a really good way to start the day. Yeah, exactly. And it's, um, I don't need caffeine mm. at all as a result of that. Are there any other breathing techniques that can improve focus? Yeah. So you can, again, like, so if you are, if you're struggling with impulse issues, you want to make sure that the out breath is long and it's quite slow. Like, and the reason that you're doing that is because you want to relax your body. So in the face of, I'm about to, do something silly, perhaps. Um, I need to relax, okay? But if your focus is an issue, you need to get as much oxygen in as possible. The one way to do that is just to basically take in big breaths and then once the lungs are full, just let the muscles go. So you're not pushing the air out. You is that, is that forcing the air out? So or do you let no, not at all. Let it, it's, it looks like I am, mm. but it's because my lungs are so full. Right, okay. So what I'm doing is, again, for people listening, I'm taking in a full breath through the nose, and then I'm letting. So I'm holding the air in with muscles in my abs and stuff. I then let those go. I'm not pushing the air. Mm. It's a different thing. Naturally, if I keep out. doing that, say 30 times, I'm going to get so much oxygen in my body. It's just going to. I'm going to get pins and needles and everything that it's just filling the brain up with oxygen and it makes it so much easier to focus. Now, Wim Hof, like the Wim Hof method, the breathing technique there is similar to that. But after the 30th breath, he'll let the air go. And while his lungs are empty, he'll hold his breath. Now, it's quite incredible how long people can hold their breath for 
when they do that with again no air in the lungs so the first time i ever did it i think i held my breath for like one minute 20 but i can do three nearly four minutes now four minutes four wow. minutes just holding my breath with no air in and that's a consequence of doing this exercise yeah so it's again big breath in release 30 times hold and you could do that three times in total taking 10 minutes or 15 minutes the feeling that you get at the end of that is close to euphoria i would say i saw you talking about something called you described it as the panic station and i remember yep. you saying breathing was associated with your your solution to to that mode of being in the panic station can you describe what you meant by panic yep. station and how you respond to it yeah so um in 2019 i was traveling around the world with my wife and we were in bangkok and for anyone that's been there that's a very very busy city okay and i wasn't feeling too great at the time uh, mentally and we were in the shopping mall and it was extremely busy and people kept banging into me and i was getting more and more frustrated and i said to her i said if someone bangs into me again i'm going to punch them <laughs> like, yeah and um that's just not like me to mm. be like that anymore like or maybe when i was a teenager i was silly but you know and she said right we're gonna have to get you somewhere quiet so she ushers me into the starbucks and then she faces me towards the wall mm. right so i'm like a bad child <laughs> sitting in this chair staring at the wall and she's like right you're gonna have to start doing this breathing technique now so she just guides me through it and it's taking four seconds of breath in so one two three four hold four seconds one two three four out for six one two three four five six hold for four seconds one two three four and then repeat again in okay so that the breath holds combined with the shorter in-breath than out-breath calm you down very, very quickly. And that's the breathing technique that I call panic station. That can be used. It helps when there's someone there to, to assist. So if you, like I had my wife there, if she knows the technique, she can guide, you, guide me through it. Mm. If there's someone around you, teach them that technique. It works very, very, very quickly. So when you're in a state of fight or flight, which I was in at the time, like I'm going to punch someone, obviously my rational brain is completely shut down and I'm just operating with my emotional brain at that moment. But by using that breathing technique, it allows me to calm down emotionally and allow my rational brain to come in. So mm. then in the, I go, okay, that would have been ridiculous to punch somebody for no reason whatsoever. That, that breathing be, technique will give you that. And it can be applied in so many areas, I imagine. There's so many areas that I would find that useful and again going back to that like impulse buying or that re reaction to that perceived criticism um whatever it might be that panic mode i guess is different for very unique for everyone yeah yeah it's interesting isn't it because like these techniques although i'm not claiming they would work for everybody mm. but the technique is the part that matters the actual situation is irrelevant in a way it's mm. like you could, whatever makes you stressed and panicked is whatever makes you stressed and panicked. But try these breathing techniques. Mm. They remain the same. Again, whatever you do, the breath holds are great. But the most important thing, if you're panicked, is that that out breath is longer than the in breath. Mm. Because no that will just fo effectively force your parasympathetic nervous system, again, associated with calmness, into, ac into action. It will reduce blood pressure. It will calm your heart rate down. It will definitely do those things. 
once you're calm, then it's time to think, okay, how do I resolve this issue that I'm having? And often I found is to do nothing. Because I was, I was making up a reason to take action on something. I was making up a reason to buy the thing. I was making up a reason to shower the person who had said something nasty to me. Mm. So much valuable information. I think that's going to help a ton of people. Is it, are there any dietary changes or advice you can give to, to, for someone who's looking to manage their ADHD? Yeah, I mean, like ultra processed foods are just not good for anybody, frankly, but for ADHD, they are just horrendous. So why is that? But the, mostly the sugar content, but also, so if you look at, the, I have just a very simple rule, which is that I look for any food that has a very small number of ingredients, because often foods that have huge numbers of ingredients in them have lots and lots of fake thing, fake ingredients mm. in them, the preservatives, food colorings, different things that add to taste. Those things will, for one reason or another, and I'm not 100% sure about the science, I believe it's got something to do with the microbiome. They affect our behavior. Okay, There's one of the reasons why people can become very addicted to um, sweets, for example, or um, processed foods. Mm. It's not just the taste, it's actually what's in the food that's making that happen. No more pepperoni. No more pepperoni. <laughs> I mean, again, it, the problem, the thing is like, you could say to most people in small doses, it's fine, but you can't say that to someone with ADHD on the most part. Because for me, that just doesn't go in. It has to be rule, mm. all or nothing. <laughs> you find if you, different food types can have a different effect on your cognitive ability. Mm. So like a very, very high carbohydrate diet for me personally, it really, really affects my focus. Uh, I went through a period of time where I was just not eating at all until midday, 1 p.m. Um, and the reason was because I'd been eating carbs for breakfast, like toast, for example, and it just it would just plummet my focus immediately. Now, really, what you actually want to be doing, it, contrary to what most people believe, is actually eating quite a high-fat diet because the fats in the food feed the brain, which makes it a lot, lot easier to focus. Now, carbohydrates are actually quite difficult to digest and they take a lot of energy to digest. So if you eat, you should eat carbs, but if you eat only carbs, that can be very problematic for ADHD. And again, it goes without saying that eating quite a, quite a lot of protein is very beneficial. You can, and I'm a little bit hesitant to give like absolute advice about diet because we know or the scientists know that they're studying the microbiome, like for example, Dr. Tim Spector, that each individual person has an individual need for mm. types of food. Like you and I could eat the same food over a week and we'll react differently to it. Mm. One of the benefits of meditation is that you become more aware of yourself. So you notice I ate some sweets that made me lack focus or gave me some issue in my stomach. I ate um, some chicken, for example, and I focused. It didn't affect my focus. So it's just, again, just about paying attention to how things have mm. helped and like keeping a sort of ADHD food diary might be a good idea. Like I ate this today and I, I was actually mm. quite focused or I ate this today and I wasn't focused. It's so interesting you said about the carbs because I, um, I now don't eat any carbs before dinner. And I really noticed, I used to have big pasta lunches and I really, really noticed as soon as I finished eating, I'll have a big bowl of pasta and exactly like you just said, for me, my ability to focus, my ability to hyper-focus, my ability to be productive at all, really, 
for about three to four hours completely disappeared. And I remember having a big bowl of pasta sitting at my computer and thinking, why can't I do what I was doing half an hour ago? Mm. I cannot focus on building this website or creating this bit of content or whatever it was. Um, so now I made a, make a point of not having any carbs for me. Um, in fact, I don't really eat that much before, um, before the evening anyway, but especially carbs. If I have, I have a lot of carbs for me, um, my focus falls off a cliff. So exactly in line with, with, with what you said about yourself. So, so if your body is using a lot of energy to digest something, then it's going to take the energy away from other parts of the body, isn't mm. it? Like the brain, for example. Take, r- r- brain, the brain requires so much energy to run. So it's, it makes quite a logical sense, really, that mm. we should be eating foods that benefit that. And that would be, again, high-fat, high-protein mm. diets. Do you think an active lifestyle or scaling it back, just movement is beneficial to the ADHD mind? Very. Yeah. You know, very. I mean, like, so have you heard the hunters versus farmers theory of ADHD? I've heard of it, but explain it. Okay, so this comes from a guy called Dr. Tom Hartman Mm. in the USA, and he came up with a theory that actually people with ADHD are descendants of hunter-gatherers, whereas neurotypical people, people that don't have ADHD, are more likely to be descendant of farmers. So... The agricultural age came in around 12,000 years ago. Before that, we just had hunter-gatherers, you know, chasing deer or rabbits and um, finding strawberries and fruit and vegetables in, um, just in nature. And they had a very certain way of living. So if you were running down a track and you were chasing a deer, but the deer uses is quick and it's going to take a lot of energy to, energy to kill. But a rabbit runs in the other direction. You've got to use your intuit, intuitive mind to decide, do I carry on chasing the deer or do I turn and chase the rabbit? But you can't sit down and do a cost-benefit analysis and say, right, the deer is going, to, is, go, is going to give us lots of energy and feed everyone for a long period of time, but it's a lot harder to catch and we may not catch it. But the rabbit will be easy to catch. Mm-hmm. To them, not to me, of course. It'd be very difficult to chase a rabbit and catch it, I think. But, so basically, they, they managed to survive hundreds of thousands of years by following their intuition. Mm. People with ADHD are pretty good at following their intuition when their mind is clearer, right? A farmer, by complete contrast, you know, they are very methodical. They are very happy to pick all the slugs off the lettuce all day long without getting bored. People with ADHD can't do that. But right. now, when you don't need hunter-gatherers so much, you can go to a supermarket, buy your food, then the descendants of the hunter-gatherers, yeah. you and me, the ADHD community might be like, well, my skills aren't valued mm-hmm. in society. And if I'm, if I'm, I have to essentially try and be a farmer in order to do what society says yeah. is to, needs to be done to be successful. Exactly. So they... Um, in the Industrial Revolution, say, 1750s came in, and that was just an extension of farming. Again, factories, let's stand in the factory, let's, you know, screw the toothpaste lid onto the toothpaste tube mm. over and over and over and over and over again. The people with ADHD are just losing their minds in this environment, okay? So you can see how, as you said, society has, for 12,000 years, has just been crafted almost to not suit people with ADHD. Mm. The people... I, it is relevant to the question you asked, by the way. I didn't go off on a massive tangent ADHD <laughs> style, which is we need to move 
like the hunter-gatherers. Mm. And movement, I have to move to think. Right. Do you know who Gillian Lynn was? No. Okay. So Gillian Lynn, um, she was a dancer in the 50s, 60s, 70s. She was born in the late 20s and she attended a school in London and she was very, very naughty. And the school wrote a letter home to her mother saying that we think there's something wrong with Gillian. She needs to go and see a doctor, a psychiatrist. So her mum takes Gillian to the psychiatrist. Uh, they walk into his office and the psychiatrist says to Gillian, right, you go and sit, just sit over there quietly, okay? I'm just going to speak to your mum for 20 minutes. Is that okay? And she goes, yes. She's like sitting on her hands, desperate to move. Yep, yep, yep. I'll do it. So they, they speak for a while. And then the psychiatrist gets up and walks across the room and he says, Gillian, right, I just need to take your mother out of the room. Are you going to be okay for Be okay here for a few more minutes? Mm. And Gillian's like sitting on her hands, like desperate to move. <laughs> and she's like, yeah, okay, I think I can do it. I think I can do it. And the psychiatrist says, great, we'll be back. So he walks Gillian's mum out of the room and just as he's about to leave the room, he turns the radio on right? and then he closes the door and there's a window looking back into the office. And as Gillian's mother's about to walk down the corridor, the psychiatrist says, Mrs. Lynn, just wait here for one moment. Let's just watch what Gillian does. And when they look through the window, Gillian's already standing up mm. and she's walking across the room. She's gliding. In fact, she's dancing. And the psychiatrist just turns to Gillian's mother and says, Mrs. Lynn, Gillian isn't sick. She's a dancer. Take her to dance school. So she did. She did take her to dance school. And Gillian Lynn works with Andrew Lloyd Webber to create Cats, Phantom of the Opera, and many other incredible musicals. If it wasn't for the foresight of that psychiatrist to see that Gillian Lynn didn't fit in mm. to the strict box of society, she couldn't sit down in a school. She had to move to think, like me. I have to move to think. If that had not happened, we may not have had those musicals. This is the point. I love Phantom of the Opera, so that's a big okay, one for me. There you go, yeah. <laughs> so people with ADHD, yeah. Unfortunately, it's just very hard, but we don't really fit in very well to the box that was created 12,000 years ago in the agricultural era. Now, that's not to demonize agriculture or industry. Where would we be without those things? It's just, we have to, I don't have to, but it's finding a way to create a box that we fit in is hard. Mm. Do you have any advice for parents who see this creativity, this out of the box thinking, this behavior in their children um and they want to allow their child to lean into it yeah like this in the story that you just beautifully said and do you have any advice for parents like that who are a bit worried that the school system might try and constrain that behavior mm -hmm. in their children yeah i mean so so i have a son who's two and a half mm. and he my wife and i we already speak about anything that he is obsessed with we're going to let him be obsessed with I'm not, I mean, I'm not the best person to ask because I've got no GCSEs, but I have no respect really for academic success. Like it's not changed my life. It's not done anything for me, not having academic success yet. 
Um, yeah, sure, I overworked, but I hope that I could help young people not overwork by telling this story. I would say that just you never know what could become of your kids if you just allow them to do, to follow their own intuition and own gut. Mm. You know, the amount of times I've seen parents almost force kids to learn a musical instrument when they clearly don't want to, it's never going to work. Never going to work. M music is a, is a from the heart mm. activity. Um, and it's a very, very difficult thing to get good at it. So if you're not, heart and soul's not in it, you know, it's just not going to work. I suppose my obvious next question is, what do you think when you see people label ADHD as a disorder? Well, I definitely think it's a difference rather than a disorder. And I think it's only a disorder based on an environment that that individual person is in if the environment is not right for them. So you've got on one end of the spectrum people who view it as a disability um, because legally it is. And then on the other side, you've got people that label it as a superpower. I don't see it as either of those things personally in myself. Um, because even though there are some things that you could claim I'm really good at in comparison to a non-ADHD person. There are some things I'm really, really bad at, which make life difficult for me at times. So calling it a superpower is not good. But mm. to say that it disables me, I wouldn't say that because ADHD has given me the tools to be extremely creative and intuitive in the right way and take risk without worrying too much about what happens, which are all very, very, very important when you're running a business. Um, but why is it a difference? I think because like the hunters and farmers, they're calling it a disorder. You're saying that it's all bad. It's clearly not all bad. Mm. You know, there are, when you learn how to use it in the right way, there are amazing benefits to having ADHD. I agree. Um, do you think as you get a bit older and you have a bit more lived experience with it, your awareness of how to mitigate the challenges and lean into the strengths goes up? And if it's a yes, do you have any advice for people who might be a bit younger of how to grow that self-awareness? Mm. So like procrastination, for example. Would you say that procrastination is always a problem? No. No. It's, okay. it's, um, we need to do it to recharge. Yeah. There's a lot of people out there that believe that procrastination is always a problem. I think a lot of younger people, perhaps the schooling system again makes you, trains you or conditions you to believe that procrastination is bad mm. all the time. But what about if procrastination was just a signal that something wasn't quite right? Is that maybe I shouldn't be doing this. This is not right for me of who I am. Um, or I need to, I really need to do this thing, but maybe there's a different way for me to do it. And coming up with a new way to do it could be fun. And in fact, because I have ADHD, it could be, mm. I could come up with something really creative. I think we're getting into like dangerous territory here, but like society has conditioned most young people to believe that life, the meaning of life comes in being rich or being famous or being successful in some way. And the problem is that when you define a goal, like I want to be a famous guitarist, for example, it completely ignores that perhaps 
you don't have the skill. Right. And also an enormous amount of luck that requires, that comes, that's required to be a famous musician. But instead, if you are able to pay attention to what you're actually good at and enjoy, and don't worry about the outcome, then people with ADHD will actually find their lives to be a lot easier, I think. I think a lot of the problem comes from, I've defined what I want, but, it, but you, it, what you want means you're going to have to do loads of things that most people with ADHD cannot do. It's not to say that you won't be able to achieve it, but I just think you're more likely to end up in hospital like I did mm. if you force yourself to be different to who you are. So the first step in developing self-awareness is doing, learning a little bit of meditation, being very aware of what's going on in your head, and then noticing when you make decisions that don't work out for you. Mm. Do you think... And that leads nicely on to the next question. Do you think ADHD needs a rebrand? Yes, definitely. It's such a fuzzy, almost subjective diagnosis. And, you know, where's the threshold between ADHD and not ADHD? It's like, if someone's just below the threshold, but meets a large number of the requirements for being diagnosed, and someone's just above the threshold for diagnosis, what's the, really the difference between those two people? So it, is ADHD not a disorder that we're diagnosed with, but just a difference of personality, a personality trait? Mm. And how you would rebrand it I think getting rid of the word disorder at the end of it would help. And also, mm. I think <laughs> um, attention deficit. I don't think I have an attention deficit for things I'm interested in. So is it maybe a uh, more about variable stimulation? Like people who are diagnosed ADHD are more likely to be stimulated in a different type of way to those who are not diagnosed ADHD. Mm. So... How can the person who believes that their ADHD is a superpower have a disorder? It doesn't make sense. It, what you said makes sense. It's, it's almost more, I find, like an executive function deficit. Like you said, my attention, if anything, can be too much sometimes to the point yep. where I blank out other important things around me. Definitely. I can be so focused. Um, so it's definitely not a deficit of attention for me. Um, it's more about a lack of control about where that tension goes. Yeah. That's spot on. Do you have any closing advice for somebody who's looking to manage their ADHD um, without medication? Always start with breath work. Always start with the breathing techniques. The reason is because um, you get an instant feedback from it straight away. So if you take in the deep breath and then the slow out breath, you're going to feel calm. If you're lacking focus or lacking energy, if you're taking the, the, the 30 very intense breaths, you're going to get immediate feedback. You're going to feel energized straight away. Mm. Once you've started to um, get comfortable with the breathing techniques, you can try a, a cold shower. You can start that. Then you'll start to get the benefits of that. And once those two things are in place, then pick up some meditation because that's going to create that gap between stimulus and response. So you're more likely to avoid impulsive moments. 
when someone shouts at you, gets angry with you, you're more likely to be able to see your reaction before you say it and perhaps don't say it. Because it's quite interesting how often when you're silent, when someone shouts at you, that they end up actually apologizing for shouting. Mm. But when you shout back, they get triggered and it causes even more issues. Mm. So really it's three things. Start with breath work, start cold exposure, and then after a while, bring in some meditation. Mm. Fascinating. Thank you so much, Joseph, for coming onto the podcast. It's, it's been insightful. Thank you so much. No problem. I've enjoyed it. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 